I think that that we really did the carnival community proud, and I, I sort of try not to be biased here, but but I, I haven't seen a, a live streamed show that is of that quality. Um, yeah, I really think that we we sort of set the bar there. On today's show, we're welcoming Niall Green back to the show, the CEO of Second Screen, who was a guest earlier in the summer. Why are we welcoming Niall back? Because his company was heavily involved in the virtual version of Notting Hill Carnival. Obviously, it was a real shame that the carnival couldn't physically make its way through West London, but it presented a fantastic opportunity for technology to take centre stage. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly tech podcast, where we talk to leaders from across the sector and bring you some tech news. Joining me on today's show, we have Akish. Happy Hello. belated birthday. It was your birthday on Tuesday, was it not? It was my birthday, yeah. yeah. And you, you actually left the office early yesterday because I, I completely forgot I'd bought some cake. Um, Mate, I, I didn't know it was your birthday until I got home and I went on Instagram and I was like, oh shit, I feel like a terrible colleague. No, it's all right. It's, it's all right, man. It's just, yeah, it's all good. Birthdays. Are, Wait, what are you yeah. about? Leaving? I didn't leave the office early. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Well, <laughs> earlier than me, earlier than me. <laughs> there was only six people there. Continuing our theme of of yeah, bringing people in, but those six people did enjoy the cake, um, which is lovely cake actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look on that front. Let's be honest. You don't need that to be forty people on that floor, do you? You're quite happy if there's six people to have a chat with. Six people of uh, yeah, good quality. It was it was good quality of conversation yesterday. Uh, I, I like the six people uh, that were there yesterday. Um, yeah, I yeah, mean, any yeah. any our listeners won't know him, but any any time that a certain gentleman called Johnny Horwitz is there, there's guaranteed laughter because he will say something stupid. Yeah, yeah, and lovable, he, lovable guy, but <laughs> prone prone to something quite outlandish. Yeah, and and if he doesn't say anything stupid, he'll be wearing something a bit stupid. Which uh, I, I can't really talk yesterday after me rainbow <laughs> trainers. <laughs> Any uh, any luck on the way back home? No, mate. No. <laughs> no, I I love so 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 listeners. New Balance are selling Pride inspired trainers. They are sparkly. They are rainbow. I think they're fucking cool. And I think it's brilliant yeah. that a mainstream brand has got Pride inspired gear. So I bought myself a pair. Um, and my wife commented that I might get attention that I'm not used to. But if I do, then that's just flattering. Yeah, no, it is. It is very clear. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I loved it though. On the way, mate, on the way into the building, the uh, the bouncer on. I shouldn't. It's probably not a bouncer, bouncer. is he? In, on an office. Security. Security, Security yeah. stopped me to have a chat about my trainers. He, he thought they yeah. were. He thought they were pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, they they are bloody bright. I'm not gonna lie. They're very bright. <laughs> they are loud, but our, mate, our boss went. Our boss went. Who, do, who, who the fuck do you think you are, David Bowie? <laughs> 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 anyway. Mm. loving it i love it I've, I've i've got them and i'm very proud of my pride inspired trainers it's and, out there. Uh, very, um, very carnival colored theme exactly it's a brilliant link into today's interview where we are talking to niall niall green who was on the show not too long ago ceo at second screen we've got him back on the show because second screen we're working very closely with notting hill carnival which unfortunately wasn't snaking its way around the streets of notting hill uh in on the august bank holiday but it was online so we'll hand over to the interview. Myself and Akish will be chatting about it afterwards. So on today's show, we have a returning guest. We are talking to Niall Green, CEO at Second Screen, for the second time this summer. So it's nice to have a kind of catch up with you probably three or four months on from the first show, right? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's been about that long. It's all a blur 
for me. <laughs> it's all become one long day, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's good to it's good to be back. Um, I think last time that we spoke, you were in your parents' basement. Um, is that still the case, or have you now escaped and back into kind of a, a normal office environment? We are back in the office. So, well, some of us are. Some of us are still working from home. Um, yeah, we we moved office sort of a, a couple of weeks ago to somewhere a little bit smaller. So we were in a big okay. sharing office space before. So we just wanted an environment that we could sort of control a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's nice to be back in the office and back around people. <laughs> well, look, I mean, very quickly for anyone who hasn't heard that first show, do you want to just tell us who second screen are and, and tell us a little bit around the industry that you're involved in? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, second screen is, a is a, a technology company. Um, we build technology for, or predominantly for the the live event space, um, so anything from festivals uh, to conferences and, and everything in between. Um, we've been doing that for the better part probably of, of about five years now. And then we are also the operators of Gigwise, which is a, a music um, platform. So we do a lot of sort of tour news, album reviews, that kind of stuff. So we have... Yeah, two two live music based businesses in uh in COVID times, which is interesting. And the event space, um, look, we're recording on the day that we've just found out that restrictions are being tightened again, and no more gatherings of six people, and and what that may or may not mean. I suppose it's a, again, obviously, a blow for for the for the live music and live event space, but interesting because you also were heavily involved in Notting Hill Carnival, which obviously couldn't take place like it normally would this year, although was hugely successful as a virtual event, right? Yeah, correct. So, um, I mean, we did, we we started, I guess we experimented a little bit with the sort of um, online uh, event scenario um, with South by Southwest earlier in the year, um, where we did our, our sort of gigwise stage that we were supposed to take out to South by Southwest for the first time, um, with a load of sort of up and coming British talent. Um, we obviously weren't able to do that, so we we uh, we did an online version, which was good, um, but it was it was just different. And I think that whilst everyone has sort of been um, I think the, the, the camp's really split. So you've got either people that have gone online and done the virtual event thing, and then you've got promoters that have just said, look, we'll come back next year and we'll have a look at it. Um, I think for Notting Hill Carnival, where it's slightly different, is that a lot of the bands and sound systems and, and people who participate, um, that is really their only creative outlet. And for, for a lot of those bands, it's the only time that they're able to raise any money um, and sort of earn money from their performances and that kind of stuff. So we, we weren't able to to just say, okay, look, we're going to come back next year as much as we would have liked to. Um, so what we ended up doing is is um, we got a load of venues on board. So we did all of the steel pan from the Royal Albert Hall, which was incredible. Um, we did all of our British uh, artists from um abbey road studios we had all the mass bands in the haymarket theater um so we had all of these really prolific venues that, that sort of came to the surface and said look we'd really love to to sort of champion this and i think that with where where the world is today and the conversations that are happening around sort of things like black lives matter um it was a really special moment to be able to take those 
art forms that are predominantly um performed and, and sort of um sort of driven by people of color um into these sort of large scale venues where I think it was the first time Steel Pan had ever been played in the Royal Albert Hall. So taking the 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 physical event, which obviously is a different beast to what we usually deal with anyway, because we don't have to sell any tickets. There is just a million people coming every day, um, which allows us to to I guess sort of concentrate more on on the technology and the sort of creative processes behind the whole show. Um I think that that we really did the carnival community proud and i i sort of try not to be biased here but but i I haven't seen a a live streamed show that is of that quality um yeah i really think that we we sort of set the bar there so two channels each day uh well across the weekend we ran sort of 35 hours of video content on each channel um Mm -hmm. and ended up with with over 7 million impressions um that went out through through youtube where where did that partnership with with notting hill carnival come from initially so we started working with them i think this this would have been our third year um involved in in carnival as a whole um Mm. i i mean i've lived in the area for a long time and and i've always been a a lover of carnival just because of the sort of the the sheer scale of it and um it's just madness and and i love that and it's, it's part of the reason why i got got involved in in festivals generally it's just that idea of um a community coming together and and putting on a show and essentially building a a sort of a village in a green space and we'll all go there and we'll have a great time for a week and we'll we'll come home and and be sad that we're home um just just on that point then to jump in do you think it's possible to recreate that community and village feel in a virtual event or did you have to look at it and think, no, we've got very different outcomes for what we're trying to achieve this year? I think that there's definitely crossover. I mean, we've tried to, from the beginning, I, I sort of, um, I really wanted to keep the, I wanted to keep some of the ideas around going to an event alive. So so really, in, and, and that's really in a lot of the sort of outreach that happens prior to an event, the idea that maybe you would, purchase a, an early bird ticket and it's a little bit cheaper before the the event starts things like that um but obviously they are two completely different um scenarios and whilst they whilst they do cross over i think that they only cross over right now because we don't have a physical event but once the once the physical event comes in comes back into play hopefully next year i think what will end up happening is that we will have to keep this digital space alive um and likely what we'll do is we'll have these sort of satellite events that we do in the lead up to the main event. Um, and we're also in, in talks with different people for, for sort of broadcasting from, from the site. So having certain areas around the site where we can pull bands in and performers and do interviews and um, sort of have a running commentary, if you like, of, of what's happening on the event. I think one of, one of the things that we were able to do much more so this year than, than ever before, and it's always something that, that is – it's quite important for us to to do, but but we're we're limited with the resources that we have when we're at the physical event. But that's really just um, the educational sort of piece around Notting Hill Carnival. Why why is Notting Hill Carnival there? What does it mean? Um, a lot of people think like Notting Hill Carnival, big street party, and that's where it well, that's where it sort of ends. And it's that's sort of right to an extent, but but 
if we look at the history of carnival and the relevance that it has today i mean carnival really was started for um started for the local kids of uh notting hill it was a it was a a, a children's fate if you like and, and the idea really was to sort of promote conversation between um all of the different ethnic minorities that were living in notting hill at the time because notting hill was a very different area 60 plus years ago um so with the world that we live in today, I think that there's still a lot of those, a lot of the conversations that they were having back then, we're still continuing to have now. But but I guess what, what the event has become is really a sort of um, a three-day celebration of those particular communities that, that we sort of champion through the different carnival arts. And um, that history is really important, I think, is is, is sort of, and, and showing people the sort of political relevance of Notting Hill Carnival. Um, just to to ask, obviously, I, I can totally understand why the carnival wants to be to be online, uh, and why the carnival wants wanted there to be an event of sorts this year. And absolutely, the kind of the political context that you're referring to earlier makes it all the more relevant and and important. You know, just just as important and just as as relevant as it has ever been. But from the artist point of view, do you feel that that they enjoyed it? Do you feel? I mean. I imagine they were they were psyched to be involved in taking part, but it's got to be a it's a wildly different experience for them, right? Like you say, you don't have a million people coming and that big kind of festival feel. So I suppose there's there's less of that excitement for them to feedback. So yeah, I think again with Carnival, it's a, it's a slightly different sort of process. So, so at the physical event, we're not actually allowed to have um, sort of big name artists perform, and if we do, we're not allowed to talk about it because the idea is that is that if we had Stormzy, for for example, I know we were talking about him earlier. If we had Stormzy perform on one of the stages, and that were to get out, the the i the the worry is that there would be some sort of crowd surge, and and that to happen at, at Notting Hill Carnival is is something that we have to be really cautious of because there's not a lot of space for people to move, um, mm-hmm. and you start to get into yeah, it's just it's just something that we're not allowed to do with with the police. So I think that that this year opened up again another unique opportunity that allowed us to actually look across the board at all of this sort of big name talent um, that historically have come to us year on year out and said, "Can I play carnival?" And we have to turn them down. Um, so this year we were able to 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 sort of and 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 obviously the way that we did it, we we pre recorded everything, and the only thing that really was live across the weekend was. Um, the presenters who were in the studio who were talking about um, all of the different sort of footage and what was coming next and that kind of stuff and the cookery shows in the morning. Um, but by pre-recording it, what it allowed us to do is to, to actually get really good sets in um, in place like uh, sort of we went live from um, Jamaica, Trinidad, Grenada, Lagos, Ghana, Barbados. Um, so all of these places where where not only is it sort of a geographical nightmare to get these artists over to to the UK and perform at Notting Hill Carnival, but once they're here, we're not allowed to talk about it anyway. So when we're when we're sort of looking at the show as a whole, we we sort of because obviously there's a part of it where where we have to make sure that Carnival is being painted in the best light in the press, and um, so we have to focus on 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 different things. But but again, I think this year. Potentially, we've opened up a can of worms that that hopefully we'd able we'd be able to see maybe some sort of hybrid stage at the physical event where we can still have these live performances from these 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 other countries um, where people would be able to watch them on the on the road if they are there or they can catch up on them afterwards or watch them live from home. I mean, 
isn't it a bit of an, I mean, you're talking about opening up a can of worms and, and, and that you imagine next year, there'll be a continuation of the, of the, of the virtual environment or, or, or event. Surely it's a no brainer to do that. I mean, you're pulling in a global audience potentially, or you're raising awareness and you're linking it back to parts of the world that this has so much heritage. It, it would seem bizarre. It almost seems odd that something like this hadn't happened and, and it's happened through necessity now because the physical event wasn't able to happen, but but I'm surprised that it's not something that hadn't been mooted before. I think that, that what it what it's come down to historically, at least in the time that I've been involved in in technology and live events, and there's always been a conversation around live streaming. But what it comes down to is that each individual artist obviously has their own sort of um, their own agent, and that agent has their own views on streaming and rights and whether they should or shouldn't be doing it. And I think that this may be something we touched on last time, but it was something what I saw as an instant change when we went into lockdown was artists finally going, okay, we've got a live stream now because it's all we can do. So I think that that there's a there's a bit of a teething process that everyone's going through at the moment. There's definitely certain talent that are no longer live streaming, but I believe that that's that's predominantly because they did so much of it free in the beginning. Um, and really, if this is going to be taken up as a, a sort of a, a medium that they use, if you like, then then it has to it has to pay them in in some form. Um, whilst everyone came together and we saw the global citizen thing, we saw all of these different things for for charity artists, and and I knew that this was going to happen. They got to the stage now where it's like. Okay, but if we're going to be artists, we need to be paid um, because we've got to pay our bills, and that's more than fair enough. So, I think that the events that that sort of treat those online performances as something that um, is just part of their agreement with you're coming to play our festival, we want some digital stuff from you as well. I think they'll they'll um, be off to the races with with getting their their sort of digital and physical events married up. Um, there will obviously be people that that still don't agree to it. I think a lot of the the big name talent, but I think anyone that is sort of up and coming now is really going to have to embrace that digital space. Just out of interest, is this going to, in your opinion, looking looking forward a little bit, is this going to add fuel to the fire around things like virtual reality? I mean, it's it's only a, I think in the last couple of weeks that there's been some buzz around the fact that um, Rhapsody has bought Napster, right? Uh, and they're launching a virtual reality music app. I, su- I suppose Rhapsody VR offers a glimpse of how artists could make money. Okay, they might not be able to perform um, in a stadium or even in a small venue anytime soon, but they could perform in a virtual space to a live and very immersive audience on a global scale. I do think there's going to be space for it. When I when I think of VR concerts, I almost my my instant thinking is okay. Well, do VR concerts would be more than helpful for people that obviously aren't in the in the country where the um, the gig is taking place. But but looking beyond that, there's also um, an accessibility uh, sort of question here, and and VR and virtual events are a very strong solution to accessibility problems. If we're looking at, at venues across the country that still don't have um disabled ramps or, or chairlifts or that kind of thing um but also looking at festivals it's not uh, it's not easy for someone in a wheelchair to go to a festival people do it um but they're sort of the i guess 
the really committed music fans and i think that that to open up the the sort of floodgates to to everyone um digital is definitely the the way to go when looking at, at those sort of minority audiences um so do i think that there'll be a, a sort of uptake in that yes i think that it's again and the, the trickiest thing about the music industry really is is the politics i think um there's a lot of people in this space that are doing a lot of really incredible things, but ultimately we need the talent to to agree to it and and become a part of it. Um, and I know at least from my experience and, and sort of in the early stages of Second Screen, we were making artist applications. We were working directly with talent um, to to sort of create these digital spaces for them. And the reason that, that we ended up doing more festivals is ultimately um, because there's just more opportunity there um we we sign a deal with one person and we get a whole field worth of talent um rather than having to have those individual conversations um so yeah it is it's going to be down to how quickly uh these technologies can be adapted and how quickly again i think the the sort of people in power if you like um sort of agree to the to the terms around uh digital performances because they are different to physical ones just before I let you go, then, um, if we bring it back to, to Notting Hill very quickly, uh, if someone wanted to see highlights from the stream and understand how the ecosystem worked, is there somewhere that they can go to see some of the, the carnival uh, highlights from this year's event? Absolutely. So so we're at the moment, obviously, we did yeah, it was 35 hours worth of footage on each channel. So we've got people at the moment that are going through and making those into bite-sized chunks. Um, so... I believe from next week you'll be able to access them all um, through the Notting Hill Carnival website, which is nhcarnival.org. Um, and we'll be using that content throughout the year as well. There's there's plans to, to potentially put those into some other um, sort of digital events that are happening. Um, and really, I think that, that that's going to form the bed of, of what our sort of digital presence looks like moving forward because the footage looks incredible. Look, Niall, it's been absolutely, uh, well, look, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you again and to, to hear that the, the carnival was a success. Um, I think given that this is an area of, of industry that's rapidly evolving and having to adapt to unexpected announcements at any particular time, it'd be good to catch up with you again in a few months' time. But um, I hope the business continues to go well and I hope the new office is beginning to feel a bit more like home. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, mate. It's been good chatting. I've got to be honest. Mm. I kind of think it's brilliant that the situation that we're in has forced Carnival to go online. Yeah. But I kind of wonder why why they haven't before. Because the footfall for the weekend, as he says, is about a million people. Mm. But they got 7 million impressions on YouTube. Mm. 35 hours of video content on each channel. Mm. And they did the Carnival community proud. And it just, it's like everything in tech. It's accelerated. It's hit the fast forward button on stuff that maybe could have happened years ago, or the technology was there, and it's forced people to be creative and to and to use technology to reach new audiences. And I think that's fantastic, given Black Lives Matter, given Carnival culture. Mm. Yeah, I think the outreach is massive now. Um, you know, given the the, the kind of the, the presence that they're they're kind of going to. Um, and like you said, one million people. There's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of kind of businesses, um, you know, we, what we shouldn't forget is, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of businesses that will be affected with the Notting Hill Carnival not going ahead, right? So yeah. we have to be a bit sympathetic. But when it comes to the artists, when it comes to the performances and 
um, you know, kind of the the acts um, that did get seen by people, they still get the exposure that they would, if not more exposure because it's online. You're, you know, at, at the, the the kind of fingertip uh, discretion. So if someone likes the music, someone likes the song, they can Google it, they can download your album, they can buy stuff, you know, all that sort of thing. So it all encompasses that when you're watching it off your phone or your laptop or whatever. Um, but I think it's great. Seven million people. That's massive. That That is, that's huge. Yeah. And look, we meant, we mentioned kind of, we mentioned Stormzy in passing and that's because I was telling an anecdote about Stormzy and Magic Radio before we hit record. Yeah. That doesn't mm. make much sense in the midst of the context of the, of the interview. Now's not, not the one bringing him up. I, I have very, very limited knowledge of, of musicians, uh, that aren't from the seventies and eighties. So, um, <laughs> but it, I do like the fact that the online platform does mean that if you're a big named star and you want to support carnival, the online platform is the vehicle to do it because it as, as Niall points out, actually it's not a safe environment due to the mechanics of the physical event to have someone with that kind of profile perform Mm. because you'd have massive issues with policing and with crowd surges and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But they can perform in a virtual setting alongside mm. Carnival and and have it complement. And, mm. and I still think even if you had the biggest stars mm. on an online platform reaching a global audience, mm. you would still mm. have people wanting to get down to Notting Hill on August bank holiday weekend and soak up the live environment. I don't think it's a, it's an all or nothing well, there's a bad Tottenham pun, but there's. I don't think it's a. It's 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 one or the other. I think it can be. I think it could be either, and mm. and and both can thrive alongside each other. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think um, I think it's just it's just incredible in terms of we can now use technology for those things as an add-on to, you know, what whatever else was already a very well organized and a well-built infrastructure. Um, mm. I, we haven't really had this conversation before this um, interview, but I don't know if you've actually. You've probably been right to the carnival, or I have, yeah, yeah. yeah no, to be yeah. perfectly honest, I've I've been a couple of times. Yeah, um, I haven't been for a few years, but I, yeah, yeah, I've been a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think just in terms of what look, what you're going to miss is the atmosphere. What you're going to miss is the the food, the drink, you know, the, the yeah. street vibe, right? Look, I'm I'm going to be honest. You can't enact that in your household, and if you wanted no. to enact it, you can only do it with six people at the moment, anyway, right? So um, carnival like. Yeah, exactly. But I think just in terms of thinking from an artist's point of view, just in terms of keeping them relevant, just in terms of keeping their brand and their exposure going, I think it's huge. And to show actually commitment and support because we don't know what, what the future is, right? This last year's Notting Hill Carnival could have been the last Notting Hill Carnival forever. I mean, I don't want to say say that because it's such a massive part of the summer history of London, right? Um, but we just don't know and if we can have these online platforms to then also be alongside should we get back to normal um i think that'd be great and i, I think there's there's um other artists that have done it in the in the us as well i think beyonce did something um recently or um and i think there was who's the cold play guy uh, chris martin uh, chris martin he did something before the f- uh, i think before the first kind of lakers game um obviously with the the tragic death of uh, Kobe Bryant earlier in the year. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there was like a, some sort of a tribute that they did <clears> via <throat> a stream. Um, but, you know, again, they had millions and millions of people watching that in the US as well. So, And look, um, people yeah. might listen to this and they might go, contact talks, this isn't the most technical talk that you've ever done. 
Um, but you is know what? Ever? Is it ever? <laughs> Absolutely, mate. No, but um, I think this is actually this this is showcasing the best of tech. Mm. If you can get mm. seven million impressions through social, and you can use social to raise awareness for key issues mm. and give access to people who otherwise wouldn't. And let's be honest, for things like Black Lives Matter, for movements like Black Lives Matter. Mm. You want it to be more than a million people who can get themselves to the streets of West L- London. You want people mm. watching this all over the world if they can mm. tune in. Mm. And giving people that access and that opportunity and, and, and also giving artists a platform to get that message out there. Mm. What, what, what else could you possibly want? Yeah, I, I think what we're seeing is technology in its, um, in its purest form and simplest form, you know, where... Yeah. You know, it, there's there's a few connectors. There's a camera. There's a computer. You know, simpling something. We're not talking about the most complex algorithmic, you know, kind of sequences. We're not talking about the the cutting edge kind of, you know. Product. But tech doesn't have to be exactly. AI, ML, exactly, exactly, exactly. Right. So we're talking about the purest, most simplest form of technology, and how it can come out and and just affect so many people in the most positive ways. Mm. Um, because, you know, there, there might be someone who is shielding, there might be someone who's, you know, kind of affected, there might be people that just can't make it to London, even if the Notting Hill Carnival was going on, right? Mm. Financial reasons, life, whatever. And if we can touch those people and expats, think about how many people from London go and live somewhere else in the world. If they can stream in, they can kind of watch it, then, you know, all for it. Um, and it's fantastic to see what Niall and, uh, Niall and his team have paired up to do. Um, and also fair play to the artists, you know, um, I, th- I think any artist at the moment, you know, I, I, I know a few kind of DJs, they are, they are struggling because obviously there's not the live events, there's not the parties, there's not the club nights. And for any artists to, you know, kind of put their name forward, put their name in a hat and, and say, look, you know, I'm able to embrace this new way of, of working and new way of kind of doing things. Um, I think that's going to help him out when, when yeah. he finally return to normal. So yeah, hats off. Right. Niall, thank you so much for coming back and talking about Carnival from the streets of West London. We're going to do something quite strange now. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to dive straight into an interview with Hussein Al-Mahomadi, who is um, the CEO of the Sharjah uh, Business um, Research Innovation and Technology Park um, in the United Arab Emirates. Totally different vibe. But if you're wondering if this is jarring and a bit different, it's not. Because Women in Tech, who are an organization that we've done a lot of work alongside um, over the past couple of years. Um, I've been out to their conferences, both in Paris and Lisbon, and they do fantastic work promoting uh, the concerns of, of women in communities all over the world. They have a, a UAE chapter, uh, Hussein is the president of that chapter, and Women in Tech have partnered with the MIT Summit, which is on the 22nd of September. It's free to join. It's based out of Dubai, but it's, it's basically looking at shaping a sustainable future. And I'll be perfectly honest, my view of the Middle East is perhaps um, unkind. <laughs> and I tried to address that in the in the course of this interview. But the fact that they had their very first Women in Tech conference there back in February with 250 people attending and probably about three quarters of the room being women suggests that maybe my views are a little bit outdated. So it's an interesting interview. It's talking to uh, Hussein about the conference that's coming up. So stay tuned for that. It's after this quick advert break. But yeah, Nal, thanks for being our guest. And Akish, thanks for spending some time chatting to us. And happy birthday, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you, guys. 
So now I'm joined by Hossein Al-Muhadi. Uh, you are the Chief Executive Officer. Uh, I'm probably going to pronounce this uh, imperfectly, so forgive me, but uh, Sharaj Research, the Technology and Innovation Park in the United Arab Emirates. Is that correct? Uh, pretty much correct. It's uh, Sharjah uh, Research, Go Technology and Innovation Park. And there are times there are times where I'm appalled at my lack of uh, cultural <laughs> ability to to pronounce anything that's not English. So apologies. That's okay. So Sharjah in Arabic is being sunshine. So we are the uh, shining city in the United Arab Emirates. And what what is the shining city? Uh, obviously, technology and innovation park. But in reality, what are you doing there? Uh, the shining city, which is Sharjah, is known for three things. It's the regional capital for education and innovation. We host most of the universities uh, in Sharjah. We have a university city which has more than 22 institutions in one place, more than 47,000 students, 2,000 PhD from 100 nationalities. So Sharjah is known to be the capital of education. Sharjah is also known for uh, the, to be the capital of art and culture. So we host most of the museums and art galleries are all in Sharjah, homegrown museums that talks about Islamic and Arabic culture. It talks about uh, the animals of the region. It talks about the agriculture of the region. It talks about history of the region. And the third thing Sharjah is also known about is industry. We host most of the small and medium industries in Sharjah. So these three Things are uh, basically, uh, you know, the, 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 what people know about Sharjah. Now, the reason that we're talking to you today is that you are not only obviously CEO of Sharjah, but you are also on the board for Women in Tech uh, in the United Arab Emirates. And Women in Tech is an organization that we've done a lot of work with and are therefore partnering with the MIT Summit, which is yeah. looking at how you can shape a sustainable future. Um that conference is taking place uh, in just a few days' time, correct? Absolutely. So we are very proud to really start and launch this Middle East-North Africa Technology Transfer Summit. As you know, the Middle East uh, region is full of opportunities and full of talents. Uh, we aim out of this conference uh, of establishing a platform we, where we create a new innovation in the Middle East, where we create a new entrepreneurship, and new opportunities for our young people and also foster diversity and women empowerment, specifically when it comes to technology and knowledge economy. So this conference will take place on the 22nd of September. It basically gathers people from all over the world, from Australia to New Zealand to Asia to Europe to the Middle East. We are very proud to have very prominent speakers, uh, ministerial level speakers of technology and innovations from Jordan, Egypt, France, uh, uh, Morocco, from Europe. We also are going to have uh, speakers from major or key institutions like NASA and other companies. Of course, women uh, play a big role in, 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 in these conferences, so we are creating a platform for women entrepreneurs and uh, professional and, 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 and leaders in uh, basically uh, uh, providing their insight on how can we collectively develop an innovation ecosystem in the Middle East. I, I 
want to tread carefully, I think it would be fair to say that traditionally the Middle East isn't viewed necessarily as being, uh, well, it's, it's quite traditional. Let's, let's say that it's quite traditional. So wanting to embrace diversity and inclusion and wanting to embrace women and make sure that that's very much part of the story of the 21st century is obviously something that's that's tremendously important. How have you managed to make sure that that is something that is on the agenda of ministers within the United Arab Emirates and, and that it is progressive and forward-looking? And I suppose maybe challenge uh, traditional perspectives of the Middle East that may be outdated? Actually, the United Arab Emirates is a very unique country. We actually did much better in women empowerment and diversity than many Europeans and and Western uh, countries. We have ambassadors that are women. We actually, 40% of our cabinet are women ministers. We have jet fighters who are women. The head of the parliament, she used to be a woman. We have uh, teachers, scientists, uh, women entrepreneurs. So the UAE is actually as a shining, really very progressive society when it comes to women empowerment. And actually, that's also a very unique part of Sharjah's DNA because the first three ministers in the UAE were from Sharjah, female ministers. And, uh, and, and so we did very well when it comes to women uh, empowerment. Just recently, as of last week, the government issued a new legislation that equate women pay to men. So both of them, they get the same pay. Uh, my understanding, many of Western countries still, they don't approve that. <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely true. <laughs> look, do you, do you think, therefore, that, look, obviously, whilst coronavirus and the pandemic is awful, I suppose there is this move to virtual conferences. There's this move to go online. Does this present an opportunity for you to actually have a global audience? You know, I I have only, I've never been to Dubai. I've been through Dubai Airport on my way to various different holidays. My my perspective of the Middle East is basically through holiday snaps on Instagram, and it's incredibly slanted through the eyes of Westerners visiting Dubai. So does this give you a, a wonderful opportunity to actually, I suppose, showcase what is going on in the country uh, to a global audience in, and take advantage of the fact that people are are more prepared, I suppose, to to visit places virtually and explore new, new experiences? Absolutely. I think technology provides us with a lot of opportunities now to connect and to engage with each other. So this summit is just an example of how technology can connect us as people from different parts of the world, allows us to share best practices to different topics related to technology, diversity, uh, 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 good businesses, sustainable development, uh, uh, and also allows us hopefully to really create and identify new opportunities also for businesses in these difficult times and develop creative way of helping each other grow and get out of this uh, challenging uh, period. So look, one quick last question. Um, the conference is, as, as we said, coming up on the 22nd. Personally, what are you most looking forward to from it yourself? I'm really looking to present the Sharjah Research and Technology Park as an ideal platform for global innovations and global companies and entrepreneurs who wants to access the wealth and the opportunities of the Middle East. We would like to work with them in creating an ideal platform for them to jumpstart their businesses, create a new partnership and a new opportunities in these difficult times.
I really appreciate you giving up some time. I know you're very busy, so it's great to hear a little bit about the conference and charges, aims and goals uh, from from yourself. If someone is interested in, in joining the conference, we will add some links in the show notes so they can do that. But uh, what, 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 what would you suggest whilst you're talking to people directly that, that, that they do? Is there a website they can go to? There is absolutely a website for the summit, which we already will be posted, and they can just simply register as a free of charge uh, summit that they can uh, simply register their name. There's also a award uh, related to the summit that hopefully we will award the most dynamic and innovative and socially responsible businesses and uh, people in this summit. So this is an opportunity for all of us to celebrate innovation and celebrate partnership and, and, and humanity and social good as well. Best of luck for the conference. Um, everything there sounds fantastic, especially uh, looking at uh, socially responsible companies and, 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 and lauding and advocating those. That's fantastic. I hope it really goes goes well. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. And I wish you a very good time and to you, as well. Thank you.